So, this is one of the most important messages you will ever hear when it comes to salvation and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to understand today that we are all grace projects. Okay, do you hear me? We are all broken. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All were lost. But God, by his grace, has saved us and has called us. Who's out there, Jeff? They, they working on power lines in the parking lot? Jeff's going to get him. He just went out there like a bouncer. I hope he gets him. No grace, grace when you talk there in church in the parking lot. There's a temptation to think that God is always against us. There's a temptation to think we've fallen out of God's grace. There's a temptation to think we're not good enough to be loved by God. I was watching, we're on a run of watching cooking shows. Anyone watch Chopped? We're on a run. It's a show. They give you like four ingredients and the cook has to make it up and they have to make something beautiful out of it. So on Saturday, sometimes we will watch 12 episodes of Chopped. I'm not lying. Just keeps going. I act like I cook, but I can't cook. But watching these shows, and there was one guy on yesterday. And what bothered me so much about what this guy was going through is as he was cooking and as he was winning each challenge, he kept saying, I had a hard father. I had a military father. And I could never be good enough. I could never do good enough. He was never said that he was pleased with me. I never felt love to the point when I was 17 years old. I just left my home and I had never gone back since. And what you heard ringing through the voice of this man who owned his own restaurant, who had his own staff, who people said, this guy is successful. You heard insecurity running through his veins. Every time he said, I just never think I'm good enough. Oh, I can't do it. I think I made mistakes. I did this. I'm did. There was no security running through his veins because he didn't have a loving father. And what I want you to hear today is there should be so much security running through your veins because you have a loving heavenly father that is for you. Amen? We don't need to go through life thinking if God loves us. We don't think, need to go through life thinking, have I lost my salvation? We don't need to go through life thinking, will I make it to heaven? Jesus purchased that all for you. It was his salvation given to you so you can live in freedom. Like it says, Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you live in condemnation, you will not grow in Christ. You won't grow in loving your neighbor. You won't grow in love and grow up. You could grow in outward dead religion where you look like a good veneer, but nothing's changed on the inside. But when you understand that grace of God burning through your soul, running through your veins, the security of God, you begin to come, become more like Christ every day. Because you wake up every morning and you say, man, I'm a filthy sinner, but God still loves me by his grace. You're not counting your sins from this week because you understand the cross of Christ was powerful enough to destroy all your sins past, present, and future. You're not making a list of your sins, you're rather making a list of his grace, amen? That's what I need you to hear today. Because believe you, I'm a prideful man myself. Sometimes I want to run to religion where I'm doing better than others. That makes you feel so good, doesn't it? They're not really saved like I'm saved. You don't understand my devotional time. 
we always want to place these things up there that we're better than others, that we deserve salvation more than others. But what the cross of Christ does is it outs us all as sinners. Therefore, there's no way any man, woman can boast in their salvation because it was completed by Christ. And that's what I want you to hear today. This brings freedom to your soul. This helps you sleep better. This helps you love better. This helps you worship better. When you realize you haven't earned it, you come to Sunday service and you worship from the knees. You worship from your heart. You don't think you're one of the people that deserve to walk through those doors. When you share the gospel, you say, listen, I'm a sinner just like you, but let me give you this good news that God died for sinners like me and you. All of a sudden, when you're praying for people, you don't got to pray like the Pharisees and say, thank God I'm not like him. You pray and say, thank God for saving me. Thank you for saving me because I am just like every sinner who's walking this earth. I'm undeserving of God's grace. Just the cross of Christ gives it to me anyways. Can I get another amen? I know it's my fourth one already, and I'm not even into the verse yet. Let's get to Ephesians 1. We're going to read verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things to in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory." In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So what I want you to hear right out the gate, we need to lay a foundation for what salvation is. You've got to understand these three basic foundational things. One, the scriptures teach us that we're all sinners by nature and by choice and therefore deserve to be punished by God. We deserve to be separated. And even to go deeper what the scriptures say, we deserve hell because we're sinners. Because hell is just a place where people are punished who are sinners. So that's the first thing you understand. If we're going to say you're saved, you've got to be saved from something. What are you saved from? You're saved from the punishment that you deserve. By the grace of God, we all deserve punishment. Which brings me to my second point. You can only be pardoned from your punishment if someone else takes your punishment. And who took that punishment? Jesus Christ. So therefore, there has to be a substitute. Someone has to pay the price. Someone has to live the perfect life. Someone has to do everything we couldn't do to obtain salvation. And that was Jesus. So the pardon comes by faith alone and Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. Okay? That's the second thing. Thirdly, any, everyone who's truly saved, you should see some fruit in their life. I'm not saying perfection. I'm not saying perfection. Because our standards of the fruit 
that we should see uh, many times rooted in arrogance. All of a sudden, we give ourselves 20, 30 years to grow in something. Someone gets saved, and you're like, where you at after one month? Why haven't you grown to my expectations? But you should see fruit. But remember this. Fruit doesn't grow in a day. It takes times. It takes seasons for fruit to grow. So with salvation, we all deserve punishment. Secondly, all those who put faith in Jesus by the grace of God will receive pardon through the work of the gospel. And thirdly, when you see a true heart change, you see fruit in your life. And we'll get to that. Now, what we need to wrestle with is some of us, when you read that, did anyone catch that? It says, I chose you before the foundation of the world. And say, what the heck does that mean? It means that you were chosen before the foundation of the world. Very simple. God elected you in his free grace as a sinner to experience his grace and become a display of his grace for all eternity for the glory of his name. Now, what cracks me up as I continue to think this, this is how we are in American culture. This is how arrogant we are. We don't want God to choose us. We want to choose God. Someone will sit there and argue and say, no, God didn't choose me. No. No was my decision. And I thought about how ridiculous this is when you get to it. Okay, so you're fighting with the fact that God before the foundation of the world chose you. You got a problem with that? That bothers you? You're not going to tell me who's choosing me. Something wrong with us. The scriptures say over and over again, that God chose his people according to his free grace. And even the choice we make is based on his primary choice of choosing us. What does Jesus always say when people try to say something? He say, you didn't choose me, I chose you. You didn't choose me, I chose you. It's echoed through everything he's doing in his ministry. Now this bothered me because I'm a sinner. I was up at night because I was raised in a church where you lost your salvation 22 times each week. You know the torture it is to lose your salvation every day? You know how tiring gets the... I got to go to an altar call every week just to feel right with God. As if my knees and going up there and everyone, I knew you'd come back. I knew you'd come back. You've been gone, and Jesus pursued you and brought you back. It isn't your work of an altar call that saved you. It's the work of Christ before time that saved you. Yes, you chose God, but the primacy was his election of you. This bothered me. It kept me up at night because I wasn't raised like that. It began to shake me. And I, I read Romans 9. Poor Natalie it was when loss was in its prime, and everyone wanted to see what was going on with lost, right? What's going to happen? This is crazy. What's going on? I couldn't even enjoy the final episodes because I'm walking around with my theology book at 11 at night saying, Natalie, my whole world's getting shaken right now. It's getting shaken because I'm going to the scriptures, and the scriptures are messing with my life in a good way. So this is what messed me up. So Paul gets to this place in Romans 9 where he says, my people... He, so God chose the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, to be his people. Jesus was Jewish. Paul was Jewish. There's many Jewish converts in the beginning of Christianity. But what happened was there was a big portion that crucified him and didn't believe he was God. So Paul said he woke up with this weight every day saying, these are the chosen people, aren't they, Father? Why are they not seeing your salvation? He even went as far as saying, I would be cut off if my people would be saved. And he's working through all this, and he, he's working through the question of election and free grace and all these kind of things. And he comes to the point where he says, and I think many of us need to hear this, because many of us think our knowledge of good and evil is better than the God, God Almighty's. We really sit at our dinner tables and say, I'm more merciful and compassionate and just than God. And that was the first sin. 
Paul comes to the point, he says, who am I to tell the potter what to do with the clay? Who am I to declare God unjust? Who am I to say God is not right in his doings? If he chose some, let me read this first to you. Romans 9, 23. Apostle Paul says this. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And hear this. This is all those who are in Christ. In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. That steak dinner. That is heavy, no? Beforehand, he called some to be vessels of mercy who would declare the grace of God for all eternity to the praise of his glory. Now, some of you are still working around and saying, where's my place in this? I want some stock in the game. I want something to revel in in eternity. Like I was one of the good people. I was one of the people who saw it. No, he, he might have chose those other people because they're messed up. But me, I've always had a good heart since I'm young. Come on now. Throw those fairy tales out the window. God has chosen us all by free grace alone that we might be vessels of mercy. And this is the purpose. Because many people ask, salvation primarily is not for you. Some people would wrongly teach that God was lonely, so he had to save some people, so he had a family. God was never lonely. The Father, God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit lived in perfect community. He does not want or need, but he chose because of the overflow of love to choose some in his plan of redemption for his glory. So here's the purpose of salvation. This is so hard to hear in our selfish, narcissistic society. I'm telling you right. This is so hard because we, all of us, wake up with that sinful nature, right, where we think the world revolves around us, right? Even the way we see it, we're like, that person made the decision. I was the center of their world. No, you weren't. They probably weren't even thinking of you. It says it over and over again in this chapter, Ephesians 1. What does it say? Verse 5, he saved us to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12, to the praise of his glory. Verse 14, to the praise of his glory. We are saved for the purpose of glorifying his name. Now, I love artists most of the time. I love how someone can make a painting or they can sculpt something or do all these kind of things. But when someone does a painting with great paint and a great canvas and a great frame, you can tend to say, that's a great picture and forget the artist. Right? Because you say the colors of the paint in this, the canvas they put on the frame. What really gets my awe is when someone takes trash and makes it into a masterpiece. You ever see these people that take trash and make it into a work of art? Who says, man, that's fantastic trash? You say, man, that guy's good. Because you, you have to throw all temptation to praise the art out the window. You've got to praise the one who took those materials and made a masterpiece. That's what God's doing with you and me. He's taking sinners from the pit and he's making them masterpieces. This is why people get the Bible messed up. The Bible is not full of a book of heroes. 
These brothers were so messed up. And until you start understanding that, you can't truly love people. I say it all the time. Moses was a stutterer who murdered someone. That's your hero? David was a murderer who committed adultery. That's your hero? Jonah was a prophet who ran away so much God had to throw him in the ocean, get him eaten by a fish and spit up. That's your hero? One only one hero in the Bible, Jesus. The rest are messed up masterpieces that God took trash and made a masterpiece for his glory. So when you look at that, you don't say, man, David was somebody. You say, man, God was somebody choosing David and making something out of nothing. Amen? That's what he does with us. That's how I need to, you to see yourself. That's how I need you to see others. Because when you go home, you can talk all day about how messed up we are because we're messed up. But it's much better to say, man, can you believe God chose that person to display his glory? That person's so weak. That person's so off. That person is so socially awkward. But he chose us. That's us. To display his glory. To be vessels of mercy. That's salvation. First of all, you have to understand election because it's vital. And you know, what was amazing is election turned from condemnation in my mind because I felt like the way I waited I said God elected us does that mean God's unjust so I, I did all the things that Paul rebukes you of in Romans 9 like who are you to say God's unjust you're the clay and you're calling the potter unjust I did all those things but what's amazing to me is election went from a, go- a doctrine of condemnation to a gospel a doctrine of grace all of a sudden if I was elected by God that meant it was his salvation he gave me and no one could tear me out of the hands of my father. If I was elected by God and it wasn't my choice primarily, even though I put my faith in God, that means I can't think more highly of myself when it comes to others. If I was elected by God, it means I will endure to the end and be saved and experience the kingdom of God in heaven for all eternity. You guys hear that? There's a beauty in election. Like Paul said, I love the doctrine of election because it means when I go preach the gospel, some people get saved. If you're expecting people to get saved when you preach the gospel because of your skill, there's trouble in paradise. But if you believe God before the foundation of the world, you will preach the gospel, and some by his mercy and grace will believe, like the scriptures say, then you'll be an effective evangelist. You know, some of us are looking for purpose in our life. Some of us look to money. If I can just get enough money, I will have purpose, I will have identity, and in the end, you come up unsatisfied. Some of you say, if I get enough fame and notoriety, not on a global scale, even with just my friends, if I'm the man or the woman everyone looks up to and cheers when I walk into the place, then I'm going to find my identity. You come up unsatisfied. Some of you try to indulge yourself in all the earthly pleasures. If I can just sin enough, it's going to be good, good, good. You come up unsatisfied, and I know I can get an amen for that. Because that's what the enemy does. He promises the world and he leaves you empty after the momentary gratification. If you live your purpose, your salvation out for the glory of God, you will be satisfied when you put your head on your pillow at night and when you wake up in the morning. You're meant to be a display of God's grace in everything you do in action, thought, and deed. Like it says in Luke, that they see your good works and it glorifies your Father in heaven. Some might say, how do you live? For the glory of God. Let me give you an example. I love being a dad. I'm thankful I'm a dad. I got two beautiful, wonderful daughters. And my oldest daughter, she got this award in sixth grade for achievement and character. 
And you know what happens when you bring home an award for achievement and character? Dad is just like, what'd you say, Doc? What'd you get? That's me. You, you all, the glory of the dad is just like all the time, all the work. And Natalie gets some too, but I'm trying to make a point with the glory of the father. Everyone's like, see how he is? I'm telling you, my glory as a dad was unbelievable. I posted that to Facebook, and I was like, I don't give a what people think about me. That's my daughter. And I hope everyone sees it and says, man, he's a good dad. But what she did was her actions of loving people and caring for people, actions of doing her homework assignments, her actions of respecting and being humble for a teacher, her actions of character brought glory to me as her dad. And what I want you to hear today, yes, it's all about grace, but that grace will work out holiness in you because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and your actions will begin to bring glory to your Father in heaven. Isn't it great to do something by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and people reflect on there must be a God because he changed your life and now you're living for his glory. And they, to the point where they say, God's doing something because I know that person and they're not like that. And all of a sudden it brings glory to your Father in heaven. That's what you want to live for by the grace of God. You want your life's legacy not to be rooted in possessions or rooted in money or rooted in fame or rooted in notoriety, notoriety or no, rooted in your praise. You want to be rooted that that person's life, even though they were blemished, even though they were fallen, that person's life testified to the glory of God. He loved his God and she loved her God and she loved her neighbor and he loved her neighbor with the fullness of heart. Don't we want that to be said of us? That our lives glorified our heavenly Father? That's your purpose. Anything else that takes away from that purpose of glorifying God, throw that out the window. Because you were selected. You were chosen before time to receive the grace of God, be a vessel of mercy that brings glory to the name of God. You know, when I first got I would define that first saved because I feel like when I was 19, something really happened in my heart. So I, if you asked me, I would say I believed in God. Like, you believe in God? Of course I believe in God, man. They taught me that in Sunday school. But when I was 19, like, in my mind, I was going to stop following God because I could get good connections for a job or good around, be around good people. What I didn't realize is my heart would be dramatically changed by the Holy Spirit. So when my heart got changed by the Holy Spirit, I felt the grace of God, but then I felt a great fear because I said there's no way I can be good enough to earn this salvation. I looked out at life, I looked at myself, and I said, I'm not going to make it. I hate to let you down, pastors. <laughs> I hate to let you down, church. But you don't understand who God just saved. I am not going to make it. And I wake up in fear, and I think I lost my salvation, and over and over again. What I want you to hear is, if it was up to your own strength and it was by your work salvation, you wouldn't make it. But because it's by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, who works within you, you will endure to the end and bring glory to your Heavenly Father and receive the inheritance. Amen? People ask me all the time, can you lose your salvation? Can I lose my... If it was yours, you could. It's the wrong way to ask the question. 
Salvation is not primarily for you and for your glory. It's for God and His glory, and no one's ripping anything out of the hands of God for His glory. He chose to write the law on our hearts. I cannot lose something I didn't purchase. I cannot lose something I did not earn. And I can't lose something which I was not the primary decision maker in. The first choice was God's. And of course we made the choice. But he first loved us and chose us. And that leaves no room for boasting. No room for works. Only room for the praise of the glory of his grace. And it says something beautiful here. It says you are sealed by the promised Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. This should give you great hope. So John Piper, gave, he helped me think through some of these things. But the first way, when it talks about you're sealed by the Holy Spirit, I want you to think of this. What do you do with your cold cuts? Do you leave them out in the fridge? Just take turkey, throw it on the bottom layer? No. Every time you have that meat, you seal it up. And if someone doesn't seal it, they get reprimanded. It's usually me. You want to make sure that's sealed. If it breaks, you've got to fold it over. You've got to make it nice. Because if you don't seal it, it's going to get rotted. It's going to be corrupted. So the first thing the Holy Spirit does is he seals us until the day of redemption. He seals out the things of the world so they will not permanently corrupt us. He seals out the evil. He seals out the pain. He seals out the temptation. So we will not be crushed, but we will be preserved until the day of salvation. I want you to hear that first. Secondly, he puts a seal on us, meaning we are sealed as authentic child of God. That if you have felt the Holy Spirit working in your heart to love God, to repent of sin, and to grow in Christ, then that's a testament to the authenticity that you are a child of God and he will never let you go. Amen? That's the second thing in the seal. The third thing, it's a seal and a sign that the Holy Spirit possesses us, therefore the demonic cannot possess us. You guys hear me? We talked about spiritual warfare in a deep way three weeks ago. And I can't, you, I can't explain to you, since I spoke about spiritual warfare and preached on spiritual warfare, because people put a stigma on it, how many calls and how much ministering I've had to do over the past three weeks of people who are fighting the spiritual and were afraid to tell people that were hearing voices, seeing things, this and that. The seal is a promise that you will only be possessed by the Holy Spirit. You will not be possessed by the demonic. Amen? Does that bring peace? You don't have to fear. You don't have to be tossed to and fro. You don't have to be tormented because you are a child of God. And Satan will not have victory in your life. You're sealed unto the day of redemption. I don't know about you, but there was a few things I realized about this culture. And one is we don't want to talk about death. We want to act like it's not going on. Let's schedule a few vacations. Let's go down the park. Let's mow the lawn. But I'm not thinking about death. Death is a reality. But death has no sting for a Christian. You really need to, if you're going to live for Jesus, you've got to let this world pass and not live for its passing pleasures, but live for the glory of God. You've got to live for an inheritance that is ahead of you. This is a short life. Some of us will live longer than others, but the truth is, even in that, it's short in comparison to eternity. Therefore, if you're living strongly for Jesus, I hope you'll say, everything I'm sacrificing is going to be made up for in heaven. Like Jesus said, if you sell homes, if you give this to the poor, if you do that, whatever you lose on this earth, it will be made up in heaven. 
So if you're following Jesus strong, you say to yourself, listen, I'm not living primarily for this life. I'm living for the inheritance that is next. Therefore, wouldn't it be a bad thing? Wouldn't it be a horrible thing? Wouldn't this be a horrible news in the gospel if you felt like you went for Jesus strong 30 years? In the last five years, you lost all your inheritance. Man, I'm telling you, midlife, man, 40 to 60, I was living it up. Got real evil towards the end. And all of a sudden, you don't inherit paradise or heaven. A loving God would not do that to you. He has given the Holy Spirit to seal you onto the day of redemption. I'll give you this example. Because if you trust your endurance, and if you believe you're going to make it to receive all that God has in eternity in heaven by your own strength, it would be a tough life. It would be a tough life. My daughter, Kara, has no endurance. The instant we get out of the car, who's going to hold me? I think it's a diet of freeze puffs, cream cheese, and whatever else this kid is eating. She has no endurance. So I was dreading going to Disney World because you walk an average of eight miles a day. And I knew she was going to come out the gate like, da, 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 I can't do it. I'm like, you just got here, Kara. So what happened as a good father is I knew it. I was in good shape. We were on the 30-day challenge. I was feeling good. I'm ready to go. I'm going to take a week off. I said, she's not going to make it. <laughs> this kid can't make it. I threw on my shoulders. And most of what she experienced in Disney World was because I was walking her from ride to ride. Because <laughs> I was walking her from parade to parade. I want you to understand when you just said, yeah, Kara has no endurance. You're Kara. You have no endurance. I have no endurance when it comes to our walk with Christ. We constantly are shaken. We constantly are weak. We constantly have to say, God, carry me. Carry me. And like the good father he is, he throws us right on his shoulders. And he carries us all the way to experience even. I wish, you can't do it justice because the Bible doesn't even give us enough because I don't think God wants to ruin the surprise when it comes to heaven. I think he's that dad, like, you don't tell him how good it is. You don't tell him. He said, this should give us a good idea. No eye has seen, no ear has heard how good it's going to be. Just know I'm preparing the place, and no one can prepare it better. So like a good father, he's walking us through this life. We don't have the endurance. We don't have the strength. But he gives us the strength by the power of the Holy Spirit, so we will experience all that is in Christ. Amen? Restoration Road. We're going to make it. Because of the grace of God, because of the power of the Holy Spirit within, because he's chosen broken vessels like us to be vessels of mercy who will display his grace for all eternity. Be encouraged today. We just made it to the end of our race of our sermon series, God, the Holy Spirit, and his work. Amen.